Hi, and welcome to Archery Ops Podcast, brought to you by Gold Tip Arrows and V-Stinger Stabilizers. On each episode, we talk to top experts in archery and bow hunting about what it takes to shoot better and hunt better, target after target, hunt after hunt, shot after shot. I'm your host, Tim Gillingham. Let's roll. We're here for episode two of uh, Archery Ops, and, you know, pleasure to bring Levi Morgan to you. Uh, he's a guy that I think everybody wants to delve into his brain and see what's going on in there and how he really got to where he got. Everybody wants to know that question. You know, they ask me all the time. I ask pretty much everybody in the industry that's, or in, in any sport, really, you, you know, people want access and archery is one of them sports where we do have a little more access to the, the top level pros. And, you know, we want to, you know, kind of bring Levi's story to you, kind of give him a little bit of uh, leeway to, to, you know, tell you what what it, how did he get to where he is today so welcome aboard levi yeah thanks for having me guys make sure we don't cuss too much and you know <laughs> things like that nobody's ever heard me cuss on a archery range though yeah <laughs> yeah i try to keep it i try to keep it pg but sometimes i get pretty frustrated out there yeah well you know i've never seen tim frustrated there. No, you know, if you, I always say, if you don't, you know, the guys that baffle me are the ones that, you know, they, they shoot when, and I, I just remember one time I was shooting our summer games and Roger Hoyle, you know, he was the current world record feet holder at the time. He shoots a six and he just like, there is nothing. I mean, there's no expression. There's no like pissed off. It's like, how does he do that? You know, Those are the guys that win Vegas. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like. Because when I miss, my blood pressure goes through the roof, and it takes me like twenty minutes to come back down off of that. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just like whatever. I think it's yep. just a a b personality, and you're right. It's as all it is. You know, you we bought both read a thousand books on it and studied yeah. it and trying to figure out why how in the heck we can get there when we want. And <laughs> I think you and I both had to learn how to win completely amped up and completely just zoned and feeling every emotion feeling every feeling in that tournament ricky bobby yeah and there's some guys that do that and it looks like they just go completely brain dead in that moment you know yeah. and both work it's i think it's way harder to learn how to win when you're controlling all those emotions all at once yeah i mean i i always have thought that you know there's some magic out there there's uh some technique it's it's I, the more the older i get in my career the more i think about what i would have done different i'm sure you've probably had that conversation with yourself i always said if you don't you don't care you know it, some people just don't it's obvious you know they go out there they spend a 300 entry fee all the travel and it's they obviously just don't care and it's just like why are you wasting your time yeah well you know, i just think there's two different personalities and I, I know, you know, I feel everything when I'm out there. Like I feel the, the butterflies on the first arrow, just like I always did. And it takes me a couple to get in the groove. And then in the, whenever it starts to come down to like the tournaments on the line, man, it just starts building and building. And I've had to learn to deal with that. You know, yeah. where I see, I think you're the same way where you learn to harness and use those emotions for positive. But those are the emotions that you see completely just kill people out there in competitions, too. It, can go it, it has to be because I've watched guys practice or I've watched guys at other levels. And it's just like, I mean, I, I don't know. Sometimes I get overwhelmed, you know, myself. And I, I look at 
how am I ever going to beat this guy? When he's, you, you know, I watch you go out on a practice course and just annihilate it. I don't practice that good, you know? Right. I really don't. But in, in the competition, I, I tend to, I can live in that moment. And I think that's why I have such a hard time with like Vegas is the fact that it's a predetermined outcome. Okay. And those predetermined outcome style tournaments, it's just like when you get a, I had a guy, Russ Richardson, call me last year. He's like, what do you do, man? I got so jangled on this bear. He's He got this big bear. And he he was – and uh, he made a horrible shot. You guys shoot competition. I don't know. You know Russ? He's I like – he's, so. he's, he's knocking babies out like they're going out of style right now. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Good guy, though, man. I mean, just awesome, awesome people. But uh, but he got jangled on this bear. And he he's like – I said, well, you valued it, okay? When you value something and it's right there in front of you, you go into that protection mode, you know, and and, and it's kind of cliche, all the mental coaches and stuff. Well, you, you don't have it yet. You know, what are you, what are you protecting? You know, and, and it's easy to say all the things that are, that, that people experience in archery or any other sport are easy to say, but it's, it is very difficult to create a game plan to, to uh, combat that. Yeah. Well, well, you know, now even Reading is that way in Vegas and indoor nationals and all these tournaments where you can shoot better than everybody all weekend, but then it's all wiped clean and you go into a sudden death shoot off. That's hard for me to wrap my brain around because like even from a little kid, like my dad taught me chess, like right when I could walk. And so I learned to strategize as a little kid and I loved that part. So that's why right. I, I think I love 3D because I can strategize enough to win it on the course. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know if that was on purpose or just that we didn't have a whole lot else to do, you know. Uh, yeah. but I just remember my dad, I used to play my dad in chess, and then one of my favorite Christmas presents was a chess board that I could play against and I could turn the, like, the difficulty level up, you know, and I just kept playing against the game. And so I used to sit and do that all the time. And now I taught Mike Landon how to play chess, and we were we play chess a lot too, uh but – I just think it's a great thing to teach you know, kids it, anyway. That's kind of funny. It's kind of parallels. Like, I never really had a TV growing up when I was a kid. Yeah. So we always read a ton. Mm -hmm. um, kids, we always played games, you know. My mother was just ultra competitive. I remember when I first – one of my first experiences with my, my wife with uh, my mother, we were bowling. And she turns over to me and she's like, now I know why you are the way you are. <laughs> My mother's like 60 years old and pissed off because she's losing at bowling, you know. And I used to play I used to play Scrabble with her, right? Yeah. Oh. You know, and we still play when she comes over and she ain't got nothing for me now. So oh yeah, dude. I, I don't lose to, I don't like to lose to Candyland. I feel like you're setting the precedence if you throw it, right? 100%. You're keeping that kid. You're giving that kid a bone and you just got to, you got to make them learn that there's winners and losers. And if you want to be a winner, there's a, there's a road. That's exactly right. I, I, I don't know. I believe that sometimes I am a little hardcore on that, I think, but I mean, it's just like, I, I moved down here to Utah because of the vibrant archery community, you know, incentive drives everything. And the incentive can simply be, you know, now it's for me. And, you know, I'm assuming for you, it was just, I, I remember distinctly remember Augusta, when you made a comment to me as well, if I don't win this one, I got to go back to Land Rock and you want it and never, never look back. And and I always wondered what I would do if I was put in that situation, you know, and I've never, 
I'm, I'm kind of glad I've never had to. I kind of feel like I want a lot of tournaments because I have a job and I can let it all hang out. But I'm with you on the, the tournament formats. Uh, it takes a certain personality. I remember this year we were in, we were at Vegas and I was watching it with somebody. I'm like, hey, there's the first type A gone. They're all, they're all type B's now. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. A type A guy will, will make it through sometimes. Yeah. But they do it on sheer bravado. You know, Chris yeah. Perkins is one of them guys. I think you're one of those guys and 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 not to knock you, but I I make this comment to to people. I say Levi will always struggle a little bit, I think, when in Vegas, because he's just one of them guys that gets nervous. And there's some of these guys you look at him, you're like, how does he not get nervous? I get this question a lot. How important are my stabilizers? Well, stabilizer is probably one of the most important things on my bow. Its job is to control the motion before, during, and after the shot. That helps us hold steady. It helps hold the bow still while the bow is loading and unloading from full draw to static. And it also controls the bow against our mistakes, so it makes it more forgiving. With B-Stinger, you get a lightweight, high modulus bar with vibration dampening built into the bar. This is very critical in terms of getting the most out of your stabilization system. If you want to learn more, check out bstinger.com. Well, first, I, I feel like mental and physical for me go hand in hand. Um, I feel like without one, I don't really have, I'm not great at the other. Um, but it, it can change big time difference between a tournament and a hunt. If I'm going on a sheep hunt, obviously, my physical prep has to be like pristine. my gear check all that stuff changes from me going on a whitetail hunt i mean if you look at the average whitetail hunter it's it's not your you know complete stud athlete look you know <laughs> but like i do a lot of adventure hunts i love you know the mountain stuff um but you know mentally for me tournaments is probably more important um, and physical on the hunt is probably more important. Now, you go on a sheep hunt for 14 days, you better be pretty mentally in check or you're going to give up pretty quick, you know. And that, I remember when I first started those hunts, Dennis Campbell, who's um, passed away since then, but he ran the Grand Slam Club convention and he'd killed like 300 different species, you know, and he was just an unbelievable world hunter. Um, but he told me I was going on my first sheep hunt and he said, uh, put one foot in front of the other because when you're out there you're going to try to find every excuse to come home you know and I was like whatever you know no no way but about day eight of that first 14 day sheep hunt I was like he was right you know you you start thinking about home you start thinking about your kids you start thinking about every reason why you shouldn't be there and so you have to really have a gut check and with yourself and and find another gear so I think that actually taught me a lot about mental toughness. I, I was fortunate to do that pretty young and it kind of carried over into tournaments where I've won a lot of tournaments. I feel like being down, getting kicked in the teeth, you know, people thinking you got no chance. Heck, the first tournament this year, Foley, I was in 14th place after the first day. Come back and end up winning the tournament. You know, it's just some, you have to learn how to dig in mentally and say, okay, I sucked yesterday. Let's do something amazing today, make up for that performance um, and give ourselves a chance, you know? And I just, I think mental prep for me anymore um, is just going off experience in the past. I've been doing this for 20 years now, almost professionally. I got four kids, they're all going different directions. Life is a little different than it looked when I was 20, 
Um, so it's, it's more of understanding how to win a tournament and understanding how to compete. I'm, I'm a competitor. I'm never going to go there and not care. I can't. I've tried. I've tried to go and be like, you know what? I didn't prepare as much as I should have for this one, so let's just have fun not my personality it's not fun at all i want to go win and when i show up and it's the first target i'm already thinking how am i win this tournament you know right and i probably won a lot of tournaments that i shouldn't have just because of that i think um but that's trying you know, to that's, that's train all that in like physical mental for me i i'd work out five six days a week because for me maybe it's not i don't have to do that to win an archery tournament because you look at some of the guys that win archery tournaments they ain't seen a gym and ever, you know, but when I'm standing out there on that final arrow, I feel like mentally, if I know I've done everything physically to, to, to deserve to be standing there. And then mentally I feel comfortable there. It just gives me that little extra edge to, to stand there and perform because of how I, my brain works. Like we talked about before I get nervous. And so I feel like I need to feel like I deserve to be standing there exactly. like on that last arrow. Yeah, so. I think you're absolutely right there because Lanny Basham, when I went to see Lanny Basham, he was kind of one of the premier mental coaches in most of the shooting sports. And he, he always said, you put yourself where you view yourself. Okay. And we all are big macho men and we don't like to admit the fact that, you know, we may be less, we may have a lower view of ourselves than we project. Some people project way more than they got and you can, and it's pretty superficial and you can, you can see through it, but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I've never been a gym guy. I hate it. I can't tell you how much I hate it. I mean, when I was in the army, the worst thing in the world was getting up at five o'clock in the morning to go run. I hated that crap. And I don't, you know, I feel good after the fact, like I'll go to the gym with my wife, but you know, she's, I haven't gone for a month because she's coming off surgery. She went to Argentina. I don't go, you know, I, I, but I love the way I feel, but I do it for her, but it kind of gives me Man, I, I I tell you what, yeah, it makes me feel like ten foot tall and bulletproof. And I, you know, I, and I don't really do a lot. I'm kind of I, other than just shoot my bow and kind of run around like the Energizer Bunny. I think that's how I keep the calories off. Yeah, you know, and I, you're you're naturally a fit guy. You know, you're not one that that your body is turning on itself. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, people... well, it, it 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 wants to. Trust me. There's so many times I would rather go in and just sit down and watch a movie with my wife, honestly. And I yeah. just feel like I have five bows to put together. <laughs> that bow wasn't shooting good. I got to go get yesterday morning. I got up five o'clock in the morning because Friday I got up at six and my four-wheeler wouldn't start. And I went down to shoot some cuts in because I got meetings with Bushnell and I got meetings with this other guy and we're trying to fix this cut thing and nobody's going to do it if I don't do it. And, and it's just, it's just, and then I went to a 22 shoot this weekend and of course I wasn't prepared for that. And I mean, I just get as irritated shooting that. I've, I haven't shot one in six months and, but I still try to win. Like you said, hundred percent. Yeah. You're and, and I know I can, but I also, I'm able to check myself on that and say, look, you didn't put anything into these guys that are winning this or they put it in there, you know, they put the work, in. but one of the, one of the great things that people that, that I kind of disagree with people say, they say, well, if you, if you get to a tournament and you don't have it already, you're not going to find it. Bull crap. No, I found it the last second. So many times. <laughs> this, yeah. This year has been just a nightmare for me. I was like, I can't make the damn leaderboard until the final 10 targets. Yeah. And, yeah. I agree with that. I'm always looking for it, dude. I mean, I've 
I'll leave the house so many times to tell Samantha, I got no chance. Don't even watch the scores. I got no chance. I'm shooting terrible. Get there, practice terrible, wake up Friday morning, go to the bags, can't miss. And I'm like, no idea. Yeah. You know, or even be six down after the first five targets. And then all of a sudden you just keep look searching, keep finding, keep looking. And then all of a sudden you hit six twelves in a row and you're yeah, back you in know, the game. You, you know what's funny about that is so many people I talk to about on the on the phone periodically throughout the year, they're like, we're talking about something they don't they don't like about their setup or they don't like about this. And it's two weeks for the tournament. It's like, I'm not going to change before the tournament. I'm like, what? You got two weeks, dude. Oh, yeah. I have rebuilt. I ain't, This is not an exaggeration. I have rebuilt my bow at every single tournament this year, but one. Because I'm in a new bow year and we all know how tough that can be. I mean, I literally, it's so hard to keep up with four bows oh, and yeah. setups. And, you know, I was at this yeah. last IBO and I'm just like, something ain't right. Something mm -hmm. is not right. And I was able to win the tournament with it not being right. I moved the knock point up. I figured, well, maybe that's it. It's, it and that did help a little bit. It's sagging low. And these types of things, you just learn over the years. And it's just so hard to articulate to people that, it took me 20 years to win my first pro tournament. You don't have to nowadays because there's so much information out there that you you don't have to make all the mistakes that, that we had to make, you know, coming up to the food chain. And I, one of my favorite statements now is it's going to be a tough road from 35 to 50 for guys now because you've got all oh, yeah. these young guys coming. You can see that in a no pro class. I mean, you got all these young guys coming with all this information. They're in the prime of their life. Now, yeah, I talk all the time. They have time. Yeah, I talked to Charlie Rogers. You know Charlie, right? Mm -hmm. Charlie's uh, ex pitcher for the Braves, wasn't he? Was I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he runs like a baseball camp. And I, I asked him, I, sh I shoot when he shoots with us in in the senior pro, and I said, "So, what do you think? What's the prime? What's the prime of a young man's life? I mean, where is he at his physical top level?" And he said, "18 to 27." Yeah, that's pretty much what's winning the known pro class. Yeah, I think I learned how to win at a young age. And I think that was important because I watch a lot of these guys that have the talent to win and practice with them. But when it comes down to they get to a certain point, they just hit the brakes. And I, I just think they have to break through that mental barrier where and let themselves win, right? I, I think, you know, I learned how to win when I was a kid in, in the amateur ranks coming up, and I loved to win. I And I learned how to win not only barely, I learned how to get a lead and make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and, and be okay with that because that's not an uncomfortable thing to do is yeah. to take a lead, not try to protect it. Right. And, and that's what most people struggle with mentally is when they get the lead they instantly go into safe mode and try to preserve it and, and when i was younger i learned how to take that lead and go i don't want to win by two points i want to win by 30 and just keep driving and because what i learned to do my dad was my coach and taught me to do was not shoot against everybody else shoot the course shoot right. the highest score you can shoot on that course yeah, um, because he, yeah. it's, it's very easy to limit yourself when you when you if your competition is struggling that day and you want to just keep a four point lead then you're going to struggle too you know but shoot the course and and it's allowed me to to win some tournaments by big amounts but i think just keeping that mentality 
has allowed me to win tournaments um, without being as prepared as I used to be. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I complained yesterday to Samantha. I said, I said, I'm so unprepared. You know, I'm, I'm going, every, I was in Kentucky for four days coaching, but my son's baseball tournaments this past weekend, you know, and I get home and I go out here and spend all day getting a sight tape yesterday on this bow and get it perfect and come back inside and go, holy crap, I set that bow up for the IBO last week or two weeks ago when my son was born and I didn't have, and I think it's shooting too fast. I shoot the chronograph shooting 300 foot a second. I had to start all over. <laughs> I was like, I am just so scattered. Um, but it's like, she goes, you remember Jamie Jameson? You know, Jamie Jameson, you remember him, right, Tim? Oh yeah. She, said, she told the story to me yesterday. She said, me and Jamie Jameson were shooting. This was Samantha talking at the bags in Metropolis, Illinois, way back. And he was struggling on the bags. And he said, I can't wait for Levi to have kids and be pulled in a hundred <laughs> different directions so he can know what this feels like, you know, because back yeah. then I was 24 and I was just winning and just had no responsibility really. And just all my time was dedicated to the game and man, those feelings I haven't felt in a long time where you just show up and you know, yeah, I'm gonna shoot 40 up and I'm going to pound this weekend. Yep, I, well, I show up and I'm like, I could shoot 20 up today or I could shoot two down. I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, so. <laughs> you know, what's funny is, is if you look at the guys in 3D that, that win, it's exactly what you said. You know, you go out to try to 12 every single target on the course. You are giving yourself a chance to 12 every single one. I don't lay up ever. I may protect my 12 a little bit, but I never lay up. And it cracks me up right. to watch guys that will aim center 10, hoping to luck into it. And yeah. it's like, how do you expect to win with that mentality? You can't do it. And it, you know, I, I've, I've always, you know, I've never had that, like you said, that, that responsibility. I have a lot of responsibility with work with, you know, there's so many times I want to go back to hotel room. I don't, I got to go to work the booth and, and I'm out there till dark a lot. And I enjoy that interaction with people. I do. But the one thing I've learned about 3D that I need more than any, especially if I'm judging yardage. And this is a stuff, this is just stuff you learn over the years. And you and I have had this conversation because judging yardage is not what the outsider think it is. Okay. Right. So I tell people these guys, you know, you know what my position's on on unknown yardage is. It's right. just I I I'm good at it, sure but I have 140 targets in my backyard. Okay. Mm -hmm. My problem with it is it's just, it's a barrier to entry into our sport and it's just too difficult for people to navigate and too expensive. And it's just simple recall memory. And the one thing that I've learned the most is what I put in my body and how much sleep I get has a massive effect on how I'm going to judge yardage mm -hmm. sleep being the number one thing. And it is super difficult when you're out at a tournament you get eight to 10 hours of really good REM sleep, you know? And, and if you can get that really deep sleep where you wake up feeling refreshed, I'll tell you what, it's a game changer for me. Now, when you jump into, like you said, the par side of archery, it's so much more difficult because it, it's just like they issue these points and then you're just trying not to give them back all weekend. Mm -hmm. It's not the same dynamic game. You know, I remember when I won my first tournament in Myrtle Beach. 
And I heard people like, they didn't know who I was. They didn't know me at all. A lot of them. And they're like, I was just a fluke. And I'm like, you have no idea the mountain I just climbed, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was super (laughs) emotional to me. And it was like, I got there. I made it. I got over the top, like you were saying. And, you know, I knew I was going to win after that. I just absolutely knew it because I won everything at a local regional level. And I just couldn't get out of my own head. And I still, to this day, that's my number one. It's most people's problem. Let's just face right, it. Yeah. Whether the, most people admit it, that's the difference. Yeah. 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 I know I can blame my bow and this and that. You know what's funny about this bow last week? I called I called Todd up at Bowtech. I'm like, man, I don't know what's wrong with this bow. I just can't seem to get it. I said, can you send me another riser? I just had a I had a I had a Hoyt one time that the the riser just had a weak spot. Just a weird thing, you know. And only time I've ever seen it in my career. And I thought maybe that's what's happening with this. So I get this bow stripped all the freaking way down and I went to take my rest off and I realized the dampener on my flex guard was hitting the top of my rest. (laughs) Well, that's probably where all those little flyers were coming from. (laughs) Yeah. It's a frustrating game. It is amazing after 40 years of doing this at the level that I've done it, that it's always something stupid. You've got, and I preach this and preach this and preach this. You have to have a process. And I remember this, this guy that sets up a booth at IBO and he's, he's bragging up this or that. And I said, making some claim about his arrows being accurate. And I said, did you shoot them all in? So I grabbed his arrows and I looked at him and he doesn't have the spine marks. I'm like, or he's saying, or he was telling a guy that he does everything I tell him to do. I, I grabbed his arrows and I looked at him. I said, I don't see no damn spine marks on these arrows. <laughs> so he yeah. starts backtracking. But, you know, I have a process because that process, you know, kind of tries to help eliminate those, those problems. Because if you can have your equipment right, you can have your physical preparation right. And, you know, the mental side of it is just going to be that much better. Like you said, if I go out here and I used to, when I was younger, I'd go out here and there were times that I could shoot two 20 target rounds a day and I keep mm-hmm. track of the score. And I do this for five or six days before a tournament and I know where I'm at. Right. Mm-hmm. And that gives a, a sense kind of walked out and said, honey, I'm, I'm winning this one. Mm-hmm. And, and I know it now I haven't shot four practice rounds all year and I've won two, two IBOs. Now, right. I'm not shooting in the open pro class. It's a little bit different. I mean, but I've shot pretty good. I mean, I would have made your guys shoot off at the last IBO, which is crazy because I just couldn't get it going. And I, I knew that tough course, that course is always tough. They set a really good you know course up there at Franklin. And the one thing that I was always distinctly aware of is the two guys that were leading our class had never really been there before. And you and I, you and I know well as just like you just said, it's hard to hold on a lead. I don't really a lot of times like to be leading the first day because yeah. unless I got a really good buffer, but yeah. I'm like you, I mean, I I go out and step on the gas and because it's hard to win. And that's what happened. You know, we got to target 30 and and Harold, I was like, damn it, I need to get some 11s. I cannot hit an 11. It's like I'm usually one of the high 11 counts, the high eight counts, right? Yeah. And uh he said, <laughs> I should remember this. He said, he said, uh, well, you should, no, I just need you to keep shooting tens. And I'm like, well, I'll tell you what, Harold, I'll shoot tens as long as you shoot some eights. <laughs> <laughs> he must have took it to heart. I don't know. Cause he was, 
He was shooting as good as I've ever seen him shoot a bow. I mean, it was just like, dang, I don't know if I can beat this guy this weekend. I mean, he is on it. And I was judging well. I just wasn't shooting good because I I knew it was something in the bow, but I just couldn't quite figure it out, you know. And, um, well, he shot like four eights, and I shot six up on the back half, and boom, you know. Yeah, I was two points ahead going – you know, two points ahead going into the shoot-off, and I was just <laughs> – I kind of lucked out and hit a 12 on my first shot in the shoot-off. But the second shot in the shoot-off was that new ram. This got a 12 like that big or 11 that big. And I said, okay, if you can inside out that one, it's over. And I had a bad glare, and I was just let down, and I just said, you've got to give this a better effort. So many times you throw up on a 3D target. I make this, this statement to a lot of guys is never pull the trigger – unless you know exactly where you're at. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think guys do that a lot in 3Ds. They get up, they get lost, and they just said, ah, well, you just lowered your chances of hitting an 11 by probably 80%. Yeah. That so, cost me the last day I'd say. Yeah. You that never take, yeah, it's taking chances, you know. And, you know, when I used to go to like the European Pro Series, I used to have, I just knew these guys didn't have a chance. Because I outworked them. Mm-hmm. I went down to West Mountain and shot 40 freaking hours worth of sight tape with worth of cuts in. And when I walked up to a target, I knew they were guessing with a rangefinder or a cut chart. And I knew that I knew mm-hmm. how to set my sight. It wasn't even a question. Same thing with OPA. That's why I think I did so well at it. And I, and I knew I was going to because I knew those guys weren't going to put the effort in. And, um, right. but like, Vegas, good Lord, you just can't outwork your competitors. It's just like you have to – I would be better off to just get a shrink. Right. Yeah, well, I'll give you an example. You know, I, And I guess at this point in my career, it's it's just who I am, and I don't have to, to try to kick myself into another gear. I think I've just learned to – so many times I think I've thought I was out of a tournament and then ended up coming back and winning it. So now I understand that bad things happen out there. And you're going to struggle and you're going to make mistakes. And But the, the difference is that what I've realized is so does everybody around you. You know, and a lot of times you isolate yourself and think you're the only one that's nervous and you're the only one that's struggling and you're the only one that just shot an eight and you're the only one that can't seem to judge a target ride or make it. But every, like nine times out of ten, everybody you're going head to head with are feeling those same things. And that's one of the things I had to really come to grips with. Um, And I remember the first time I realized that I used to go to indoor shoots and think I'm the only one that's shaking right now. And I remember that when I won indoor nationals and I hadn't won many indoor stuff, but when I won indoor nationals, um, I went up, I think the five of us that were in that shoot off, Rhea Wild, Chance Bobeff, Jesse Broadwater and Grant Schlesner and me and maybe one other. So it was a stacked, like those back in that time, that was anybody and everybody at an indoor shoot. Like you might as well have had nobody else. Cause it was like Jesse, like he was talking about was unbeatable almost at certain times, just unbelievable. And so I'm standing there and I'm like, there's no way I can win this. You know, I, I'm nervous. I'm a nervous wreck. All these guys have won this tournament before, except me, you know, and right before we drew back for score, and I think I won that tournament with pro hunters too. I shot him from start to finish that, that tournament, but I heard something rattling and I looked up and real wild was standing in front of me. Who'd been there a hundred times in those tournaments and his arrows were shaking together. 
hitting each other. And I was like, holy crap, he's nervous too, you know? And so it just calmed me down. And I realized everybody's nervous. Everybody's struggling out here. So going to back to what I was saying, back at this last ASA, I pulled back and it was an easy target. I was shooting great. I had, I had took the lead from Danny um, the second day. Um, everything was going. I was 12 and stuff. Numbers were coming easy. Um, and I pulled back on like a 38-yard deer. And in Kentucky, the glare and the shadows are terrible. And it's the hardest on that power line to see what you're trying to hit. It's just the hardest that we face in a year. And it was a deer that was, I knew the yardage. It was 38 yards. I think I had seven and a half on it. Twelveable number if I make a great shot. But the shadows were doing this on the target with the sun. Oh, that's the worst. And, and my fiber kind of faded out in there. And I'm just like in this calm state in my mind. And sometimes you can get too calm. And I'm just watching it and I'm just waiting on it. And then I realized my bubble's out of level. Like I should probably level that. And so as I level my bubble, I see my pin under the core line and it fires Boom. on the easiest, one of the easiest targets of the day. And I shoot a five and with a 12 number, that's a seven point swing that I just gave Danny and you don't make those mistakes. Right. So and I mean, it was one of those deals where it's like once in 10 years mistakes at that level, you know, if you're going to win a tournament. And I, I mean, I remember just keep being so down on myself and, and just trying to snap out of it. We go to the net, like one of the next targets is a 50 yard black cat in a hole off over a hill. And I remember never even thinking about the lower 12, never even thought about it, walking up, smashing the upper 12, just never moved pin super focused dead centered it never called it so i just gave up nine points <laughs> to two targets because yeah. of mental mistakes you know yeah. and so i just had to let the guys walk off of that target and i went behind mm -hmm. a tree and just had a conversation with myself you know i said you can either you know keep being an idiot um keep bleeding points back or we can get it together and try to give ourselves a chance you know and i ended up not winning the tournament but i i got myself together regrouped shot great to to end the day but you know you, you mental mistakes like that happen but what i try to teach my son too in baseball is don't let one mistake turn into two and you know i think that happens to people a lot they make one mistake let it turn into two and let it turn into an entire day of it yeah. Um, where you really just got to go, okay, the game is not going to wait for me to pout and feel sorry for myself. I have to regroup and start fresh. Let's go and like, forget about it. So I think that's one of the things that, um, would really help people, uh, is just being able to, to move on from mistakes. And it's, it's easier said than done because. Yeah. One, one of the big things about mental training is that you, you, you learn is you have to learn to, you know, how to recognize what's happening to your body. When you get nervous, I used to get really, really bad nervous and feet around. So I go home and just dwell on it and try to do some things. And, and I, I just go back to the next one, just kind of praying that it wasn't going to get, it's going to get better. And it would just get worse and worse. I mean, I get to the point where I'm like, there's nobody in their right mind can shoot a bow shaking like this. There's no way. I mean, I, I, there is, I, was, I, I watch these other guys. I'm like, 
why does this happen to me? You know, and I used to be that way a lot, you know, about why, why, why is all this happening to me? Why, why me? And then I finally just started letting stuff roll off, you know, and, and I, I read this book called Panic Away. And it was extremely good because it, it and, and, and stuff that Lanny put out and everything, it's all just kind of this accumulation of information. And you learn how to deal with this stuff. And the thing about this panic away thing is it, it taught you to use all five senses and to, to, to label. And, you know, you want to label what's going on. You know, you, you want to give it a name. You want to let it run its course and just tell yourself that, look, You've done your thing. I'm going to do my thing. Okay. You got to learn to shoot through that. And I started doing that. My last tournament as a pro was Arizona cup. And Mike Slosser was there and he was just, I mean, it's windier and heck. And he's just like, clunk. you know, he shoots a real heavy bow. And, I, and I'm thinking, well, I, and I get this thing. I'm tall. I get blown around too much and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But at some point you got to start saying, okay, what I got to do to win this match? What I got to do to win this match? And I'm just, I am literally just shaking through this, but I'm realizing that the number one thing that I'm focusing on now is not the nerves. It's what do I have to do when I'm nervous? And the number one thing I've learned is not to collapse. First thing your body does when you start shaking, your mind, you want to get rid of that feeling. That's the very first thing. The body doesn't like it. It want, The mind doesn't like it. it. It wants to get rid of it. So your number one thing to do, you speed up, right? So you got to think slow down. You know, you have to learn how to, to to function through that. And I just shook through that stuff. And it wasn't what I consider like 100% performance. That's an, I actually went to see a hypnotherapist one year. I was like, why? I have this problem. I said, I can never shoot to my ability until I'm behind. Mm -hmm. Almost all of my best performances in archery have come when I'm trailing. Okay. And it's good to, it's good that the other competitors know that, that I'm coming, yeah. you know, it, it does. I mean, it, 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 but it's just, it eats me up inside to know that how do I harness that? How does a baseball pitcher or a golfer, golfers are the ones that blow me away, mm -hmm. is how do they like stand there in front of all those people with a golf club that doesn't have a sight on it? Like I've shot barebow too, right? You don't have a sight, right? So when you have a negative thought, it's really bad. I can imagine golf being exactly the same way. You and I have golfed together. You're pretty good, and I suck. You know, and I'm just like, I, I we, Levi comes out, we play golf, and he borrows a set of my clubs. He duffs the first four and shoots par. And I'm like, is he good at everything? <laughs> I'm like, it's ridiculous. It's like I can try my guts out at golf, and I suck. But I guess if if I, I blame the fact that I'm six six, but. Golf was my getaway from archery before I had kids. It's like I would go to the range and chip and drive for hours and just, I love the game. I still do. I take my clubs to every tournament because it's still my way to mentally release from archery. It's that one time when I'm at a tournament, I can go golf and I'm not thinking about the tournament. So me and Justin Hanna and Jacob Marlowe and a couple of us, sometimes Darren Christian Bay, we'll go golf and just kind of not think about the tournament for a couple hours. but. So one of the things that I teach is, and, and, and archery has, competitive archery has taught me how to deal with that pressure situation hunting, okay? And I remember a couple of years ago in Nebraska, I threw down on this deer, and it wasn't even a really big deer, but it was a long shot. And 
I started shaking and I'm thinking, what do you do? What is that? I mean, it's like not even a deer that I value, you know, but my first and instant thought, and I did this on a bull elk that charged in one time, same feeling, but this thing just came charging in and it was just like, I just started shaking. And all I thought was pull hard, pull hard, pull hard. My mind got away from thinking of what was happening and all it was done, it was working on is the process it takes to make sure that I'm going to make the shot. Okay. And you just, but without that knowledge, without that, that tournament background, learning how to deal with that stuff, I don't think a lot of hunters know how to deal with it. And visualization is the best tool. If you believe it in here, you have a much better chance of getting it and, and seeing an achievement. So if you, if you're in that situation, you get that fear and flight, uh, nervous reaction the very first thing you do is slow down the second thing you do is visualize what's going to happen so many guys you hear the story over and over again they just threw the pins up they don't know which pin was where and they miss and they don't know why well because their body's trying to dump that feeling right mm -hmm. so if they'd have just slot slow down that pin's going to go right there i'm going to visualize what david tubbs i quote david tubbs a lot because i i've read a lot of his stuff and i really like it he says visualize the acceptable sight picture okay not the perfect sight picture the acceptable sight picture if it's blowing butthole sideways and you're shaking you're not going to be perfectly still so what are you visualizing that perfectly still you know shot so you visualize the acceptable sight picture and then you then you you never let those different aspects of the mental game mix with each other once you've got through that then you go into the execution follow-through and if you segment it up that way, then you stop dwelling on one thing and you move in, you know, through that cycle. And, and I would encourage people to read David Tubbs High Power Rifle. There's a lot of good stuff in there and mm. a lot of direct correlation to archery. And I think a lot of times you can pick a lot of this stuff up, you know, from different sports that kind of correlate like golf because archery is a static sport, right? We start from a static position. There's lots of things that can mess with your head, especially indoors. You know, that's very similar to a to a golfer standing over a, a you know, a six foot putt. Um, moving sports are different. OK, I don't think they have the same mental problems because as you move, your subconscious takes over and you can kind of get rid of some of that stuff. So and you go into just natural. But, you know, you watch guys that are really good in basketball dynamically and then they stop and have to shoot a free throw and it looks like they threw a brick up there, you know. Yeah, yeah it's, because, so, it's because I feel like, you know, because I, I played all the sports growing up, and, and mm -hmm. you, when you're reacting, adrenaline, like when you have adrenaline rushes and those urges of, of energy, it's a great thing when you're trying to tackle a quarterback or where you're it. running the ball or where you're trying to jump out of the gym and, and dunk. You know, those – it's when you're reacting, it's, it's a totally different ball game than when you're standing there alone still – trying to do something with precision right and, and so i think it all comes down to the the when they talk about skiers if they're thinking don't hit the tree don't hit the tree don't hit the tree wow. they hit the tree right exactly yeah you're thinking about where you want to go and you're visualizing the path not what you don't want to happen because as soon as i start shooting and going don't shoot you know the wind's doing this and they don't want to hit over there well i'm going to hit over there you know I have to visualize exactly how I want that shot to go and where I want to hit. And right. that's what I'm trying to accomplish. Um, yeah. And, and so, and I, but to your point, I, 
if every bow hunter and bow hunters could I mean, they could benefit so much from going to competitions where Absolutely. they were held accountable for how well they shoot and they knew their score was going to be posted in front of God and everybody. And that, cause that same feeling in a tournament correlates how you deal with those nerves in a tournament correlates perfectly to the woods and how you deal with those nerves in the woods. It's not the same feeling necessarily, but how you deal with it is exactly the same. It was funny. Love him or hate him. Remember when Chris Brackett started shooting 3d and he was going to whip your butt. I do. Well, but he, he actually, but if you really looked at him, he got better as the year got, got, got through. You know, he he, he was one, he was one of the ones that he didn't he wasn't scared to come do it. You know, right. he was almost too confident. Like he called me and he said, I'm, "This is what I'm going to do." He said, "I'm going to I'm going to do a documentary on three years to the top, and I'm going to beat you in three years." And I was like, <laughs> "I said, and I didn't tell him he wouldn't, but I said I think you're underestimating how good these guys are." You know, yeah. there's the 1500 people even the amateurs that show up at these tournaments right. are the best like they're good like i'd put them up against any professional hunter in the exactly. world you know and they're going to beat them because these guys dedicate time to being precise with their equipment you know right. you know i mean i think when he started the year he was dead last the first two tournaments but by the end you know he stuck with it he was middle of the pack somewhere yeah i, I gave david hauser crap he got beat by Chris Brackett. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you know what? The, the same point goes. Remember Joby Shaw? Oh, dude. Yeah. I think one of my favorite memories, uh, I told this at the last ASA. We were in an IBO for the Triple Crown. I think you were in our group. Maybe. No, that was a different time. But this time, I, I remember I had Joby by like three or four points. And there was like five targets left. And I was shooting well, but it was a, a javelina, like a bomb straight up a hill. And I let it off and, and shot a five right in the leg, like just oh. missed it, you know. And it's I haven't even come out of my scope partly. When it hits, Joby goes, because <laughs> you know he couldn't stop his mouth. He just said, I was praying you would do something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, you literally just said that. <laughs> You know, and two targets later, he shoots a five on a on a little easy bear down the hill, and I was like, "Well, there you go." But you know, I should have been like, "I was, I was just praying you do that." Like that, <laughs> but I, like I'll never forget him saying that. You know, IBO used to be a speed game, right? So there's always the temptation to to maximize the speed and give up accuracy, you know, because it's the art of judging contest, right? But then it's not. You know, and, and Levi, he, he'd probably admit it. He gave up a few tournaments trying to shoot that bow, and he would pick that old slow apex up, and he would wear us out because he would never miss. But it's always that – that's the beauty of, I guess, the 3D game is you're always playing this game, you know, of do I give up a little accuracy for speed and or do I give up diameter and a shaft? Right. Point weight. You yeah. play this game, and and I love that because it's it 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 really. I like the known side of it a lot too because you really are trying to target one hundred percent accuracy and forgiveness, okay? And you don't have to take any considerations into the arrow build in IBO. I'm looking at. I need to maximize my diameter, but I don't. I want. I still got to have a really accurate setup, okay? We're only allowed three hundred and. 
six seven foot a second right now. And you know, he got pull 70 pounds to get a fatter up to speed. But then you look over the course of the year, how much is that big arrow gonna pick up for you? Then you take get guys like Levi who just go out and shoot pro hunters just because they can whip our butt with them. And I remember one year he he shot pro hunters the whole year. And I think it was because he was just so much on a different level of everybody else that it was almost a badge of honor. It was like, like a personal challenge to himself to to see if he could it do became, it. Man. It wasn't how it started. I was my backup bow. I had set up for Reading, if you remember. We were in mm -hmm. uh, Fort Benning, and I had to go get my backup bow, and I ended up winning that. Then I won Reading. I think it was the same yeah. year I won Door Nationals, all with pro hunters. You know, it was just one of those years. I mean, that was in my prime before kids when, you yeah, know. I, I still think your Reading performance, your first Reading win, first time he ever went, he shoots a 10,000s pin. He doesn't even shoot a scope lens. <laughs> and he beat everybody. And I was like, the, le ah, the level of focus that it takes to do that is just insane. To be able to shoot a pin on those orange dots and and everybody was saying you were knocking the center out of them, you know. So that's just that was just super impressive. I'm the opposite way. Of course, I'm a puncher, so I like to blow that target up and get it up here. And I don't care about the movement as much. I just my mind has to know where the pin is. Okay. Yeah. And so it's just it's just it's just crazy to to have seen that. And and actually, pro hunters won that reading back to back. You and Chance. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we always joke about it. If you could only have one arrow what would it be yeah you would choose a pro hunter because it just does it all it's yeah, just it such, a good, such a good arrow it's a great shaft yeah that you know back then that there was about a three-year stretch where i shot no lens an up pin that old apex yeah and i was just in a different zone i've never been able to get back in i've shot i've had great years and never really fell off but I've never been able to achieve that level of just concentration and comfort with a sight picture, you know, and my eyes changed sure. shortly after that, where I would see double pins right. it wasn't that I couldn't see detail, but I would see two yeah. and, started, and so then I had to start using a lens and a bigger, you know, playing with apertures and the whole thing. And they've steadily just changed. I still have good vision. But man, that twenty three to or twenty two to twenty five, it was like good grief. Uh, you know man. what? I, I was, Dave Step came back out to shoot as a senior pro, and I was thinking, oh, he's going to wear it out, and he didn't. And we had I talked to Dave a little bit, and and he basically said when he was young, he just he could park in the middle, his pin wouldn't move, and I'm like, that has never happened to me. Yeah. Never. But I, but I also think it's yeah. one of the reasons why I, I have lasted so long in the sport is that I've learned to that I can deal with that motion, that I've learned a process that deals with motion. And I think the yeah. best, oldest guys are always going to be punchers or, you know, guys Probably, that can yeah. command the shot because they have dealt with movement their whole life. Right. And I, say, I haven't for sure. Like, like during those three years, my pen wouldn't move. Like it would – like at 50 uh, yeah. yards, I could put it on that little black dot and never see oh. the black dot. Boom. Trust me. I know. I watched him shoot this group one time at Florida. And I was just like, he took seven pro hunters and stuck them in a dot that big. And they were all like wedged in from the outside. I'm like, and he's shooting a surprise shot. I'm like, how can anybody hold a pin that good? Yeah. 
Because I, I know what I know. The older I get, the more movement. Yeah. I still have days. Like yesterday, I went out and shot, and it was parking. But I'd say that happens like once a week now. You know. Okay, so, I got a, I got a question for you then. How much do you think? Could you and I have had this conversation? How much do you think that is because of your physical training? Because I, I you do, you're very strong. You're very fit. You've said to me in the past that that definitely helps your hold. Yeah, in one way it does, and in one way it doesn't. I, I think you know, you because you never see any really jacked guys, and I'm not no. really jacked, right? But I'm saying you'd never see the the big muscle guys do well in archery at all. Yeah. There's too much muscle influence on that on the on your shot. And I feel like there's a happy median there because you look like guys that hold the best. Your chances, your Jesse Broadwaters. Yeah, they're like right on muscle tone, right? The yeah. like chance, chance is really skinny. Um, so I think really muscle can have a really negative impact on how you aim because I feel like it changes so much from day to day. Like your flexibility changes, your, you know, stiffness, your, you know, when you get nervous, that muscle's trembling, right? And so it needs more oxygen. It is... So like, I think there's a happy median there of like being fit and strong, but like, I'll tell you what I found out the other day is I always would try not to work out on the weeks of a tournament. Like Wednesday was my cutoff, right? right. I try to rest. But the other day I did a back workout and that afternoon in the morning and then like really just exhausted my back. And that afternoon I was like, I should go shoot. And then I was like, ah, I better not because it's probably going to be terrible. But I did it anyway. And, dude, I couldn't miss. My pen was parked. But I think I had exhausted the muscles that were negatively influencing my shot. So it was just very static. And, like, I, I feel like sometimes when you have a lot of muscle, like, they're looking for things to do, right? Like, your muscles looking for something to trigger on. They're very antsy. It's I don't know how it I know mentally being physically fit gives me an edge. Right. Mentally. Yeah. I just feel it, right? I feel That's always like, what I yeah. It's always what I wonder. I go to the gym, I get sore as crap. And I'm like, oh, I can't shoot like this. Right. And then you get about a week and a half in, all of a sudden you can work out and not be sore as much, but I still feel like I'm, you know, it's like, I don't know. I just there's no love of it. There's no love of it for me. That's the hard part. It's just like you hear all these guys on Instagram, you got to be disciplined. You got to, I mean, I'm like the old Chinese guys that you want to live longer, take a nap. <laughs> so, yeah. I really think that, that fitness, you know, probably and working out probably has something to do with how inconsistent from day to day I aim, you know, okay. because, you know, maybe one muscle group's exhausted and this other muscle group's taking over today. But because back then, whenever I aimed so great, I didn't go to the gym. You know, I was not the most fit person in the world. And so I look at the competitors and some of the guys that shoot well, like really incredibly pure shots, and they don't have muscle, you know. Um, and so I don't know what I don't know, but I wouldn't trade it. You know, I love the way it makes me feel. And, sure. and for hunting, oh. Um, it's, massive difference yeah you you go to pick up a hundred pound pack with a bunch of elk you know hind quarter strapped to yeah it. i i worked out for like a like a circuit training thing with my wife at the gym last year before we went elk hunting or caribou hunting in alaska and i mean it was crazy how fast and go i could go and i mean just mm -hmm. 
and you recover fast. And oh, when yeah. you recover fast in a tournament center, when you have really good cardio in tournaments, see, Kerry Ragsdale, who's a you know blast from the past, was a hell of a shooter, but very tight B. But also, he would run every morning before he actually competed. And I think I don't. I, I would be curious to 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 understand his process. If they just like running, or I've read places where that had, you know that exercise dumps a lot of the adrenaline out of your of your system. And maybe that's what he was trying to uh, achieve. Um, but uh, there's also a book I've been reading called The Silver Mind Technique. And they talk about the alpha, theta, beta side of the brain in there. And I think about the one major indoor tournament that I won, which was Lancaster. And the way I was feeling and thinking and, and people always say, well, yeah, you remember that one time where you got that funnel vision and you just, you didn't have to think about it. Well, that was that day. Then I have to think about what led up to that. Okay. Well, I was seated 28th. I really didn't feel like I had a chance. So I went out and played poker all night with a bunch of guys. I literally had an hour of sleep, went to the gas station, the Wawa got me a coffee and a donut and I went to the tournament, right? And I think that I was in such a drone that I was tight B for a while because all of a sudden, none of the scatterbrain crap's going on. You know, it's just, I'm just executing. Right. And I think that's the big, massive difference. And I think that I'm, I'm actually going to get into this book a little bit more because there may be a process in there. I'm sure there is. I mean, if these Shaolin, monk, Shaolin monks can do what they do, you know, there's gotta be a way to train it out of people. Um, mm -hmm. It's just a matter of, I always say incentive drives everything. Okay. Yeah. You got to want it bad enough. There's got to be a big enough carrot dangling in order for you to actually put that effort into it. So I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's the one I remember the most. Um, I definitely won't be Tim's favorite, but um, we were in Reading one year and Mike Pollard was there. You probably remember this, Tim, but Mike Pollard is a jokester. Like, you never know what's going to happen. But Tim was leading. I think it was after, maybe after two days of the tournament, and Tim was yeah. leading the tournament. That was my Cyclops thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is when he had his go-go gadget glasses and stuff going on. But I remember Mike goes, I can fix this. You know, you, you want Tim out of the tournament. I'll fix it. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, watch. So me and I think Darren Christenberry and Chance, we're standing there. And Mike walks up to Tim. He's on the practice range before we go out that morning. And Tim shoots one and Mike goes, dude, your arrows are flying terrible. And Tim goes, I thought I was seeing that too. And his arrows were flying like darts. They were just going through the sun and it looked like they were flying bad, but it wasn't. It was just hitting different shades of the sun. And Mike goes, dude, something's going on. Your arrows are cutting flips. They're doing all kinds. It wasn't 10 minutes. We look over. Tim's got his rest off his bow. And he's doing something with his rest. And I'm just like over there like, oh, my God. Tim's leading the tournament. And you wouldn't have had any effect on Tim that day, what Mike said. But Tim ended up not winning the tournament. But I just remember thinking this guy, if he thinks his stuff isn't perfect, it doesn't matter what yesterday happened yesterday or the day before he's tearing it apart you know and so and i think it's won tournaments for tim over the years i definitely think it's probably lost some too I, but it, I, yeah. just, 
You know, I think it's just the way your brain works. If you don't have confidence in it, you're not shooting it. Yeah, I've won way more than I've lost to that scenario because I, I coined the phrase, those who try nothing, learn nothing. Okay. Right. And the worst phone call I get is from some 56-year-old guy who wants your problem fixed, but when you give him a solution, he's like, ah, yeah, I've been doing it. He may bring up the fact that he might be gripping his bow wrong or something, and he'd be like, ah, I've been doing this for 35 freaking years, and it's like, I know a lot of people have been shooting archery their whole life, and they suck. You know? Yeah, doing so, it wrong for 35 years. Yeah. That's so, you know, it's just, you know, somebody told me uh, – Dave Cousins was talking to them about the fact that people don't understand that with the travel schedule, you're not always ready when you get to a tournament, right? But 100%. the skill set that I've created over the years makes it easy to me. I'm not afraid of it, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm, I can strip a bow down, refletch on my arrows, get the sight tape back on. We have things like Archer's Advantage sight tapes. It's simple. It doesn't take no time at all to get it back on. I've learned how to bear shaft tune a bow and how to make my bear shaft mimic what I'm seeing through paper. Okay. I know so much sometimes that it scares me to make a change because I know how everything affects that. It's a statement that ignorance is bliss. It's true. It's absolutely true. You You used to tell me that. Mm -hmm. It just takes, it just takes so much work. Now, to when I look at these three or four or five year old bows and the tournament's coming up, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I just I just want to freeze up and do nothing sometimes. And yep. I don't have that that love or that even physical ability to to just grind it for 15 hours like I used to. You know, I stay out here till three o'clock in the morning, pop the lights out, shooting stuff in, doing this, changing that, you know. I've been shooting my hunting bow because, you know, because I really want, I've got some big tags this year and I, and I, I want to get this cut data right for this guy. And I really want to get my hunting bow. I've never put this much work into a hunting bow. Right. And that thing will kick your butt 73 pounds, you know, on that performance mode. And I've kind of like let my other bows go to the side. And and so then I get into ready two or three days, I got two days left before I leave for, Metropolis. I'm. I have not shot my ASA bow since the last mm-hmm. Metropolis. Okay, but physically, I know how to shoot a bow, right? Right. I shoot some sort of a bow at least five days a week, right. and so I, I I I try not to overanalyze that part of it. But the problem where I run into is I make changes in my my release length, my draw length, all those tiny little things that make good great, mm-hmm. and those are the things that I I think I end up having to chase my tail at. Usually, when I one of the things I love about shooting for Bowtech, I used to hate about Hoyt, is the fact that every year you have to freaking do a new bow, right? They come out with a new freaking bow every year, and you've got to go shoot that thing. The beauty of Bowtech is, man, I got a, I got a, probably going to have the same bow for at least three years. Yeah. And year two and three, it's going to get ugly. And I'm actually doing pretty good in year one. So, mm-hmm. um, it just learning all those little stabilization things that it's just you know what it's like yeah and then as well, you get older you have to you, you start questioning is it the birthday or is it the new bow you know mm-hmm. 
what what is the new norm, right? What is, what is the new, like David Tubb says, what is the acceptable state picture? Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, they just, they're not curious enough. They don't look enough, or honestly, they don't know where to look, you know? And, and I'm, I'm seriously considering myself, and I've been saying this for years because when I say stuff like that and tell people about it, it kind of forces me my hand in it a little bit. But it just it's a time management thing. I want to start a uh, a YouTube channel called I Can Archery. I grew up with a mother that told me every time I said can't, she'd tell me can't die in the army, you know. And so I just has always resonated with me that you know most people just don't believe in themselves enough, and and or they don't have the information in a concerted fashion where they have something to go back to it. And, and that's one of the reasons we do these zero university videos. And I, I like the videos when I get tired of telling people enough, I'll make a video and then I can send them to the video. I can't talk to 40,000 people, but they can watch the dang video. And that's when I think you're seeing a lot of these young kids, they have all this information, you know, they got sorted out a little bit, but they don't have to make those same mistakes. You know, Kyle's, yeah. Well, John, I think it's, you know, your people have a just fine, good enough mentality. And I think it, it, it drives me insane. You know, right. that people are scared of precision. It's like, they're scared of testing their limits, right? They're like, Oh, it's good enough. Right? You know, just good enough. And I'm like, I have no idea how to be that way, you know, and I'm glad because they'll never find out how good they could be at something or archery specifically for sure. You know, I mean, I was, I did a rangefinder post yesterday talking about how important precision readings are in a rangefinder, And people are like, well, I've got this one I've had for years. It yeah. works just fine. You know, oh, I'm dude. like, just fine. I'm like, yeah, if just fine is what you're shooting for. You know, I have a bow that's dialed and I'm feeling great with it. I'm not tinkering at all, you know, and I think that's where used to, I never tinker with anything. I build both beginning of the year and it would last and, you know, I shoot it all year, never even think about it, you know? And I just think back then I was a different person, a different shooter. I tinker more now than I ever have. And I tinker more every year than I ever have. And I think the more you learn, um, the more, you know, and just the, the, you know, the older I get, I'm not as, I'm not as good as I used to be. I'm still great. I'm still competitive, but I'm not as good as I used to be. Um, I think I have to tinker a little more now. I, it's more important for me to have the, the worse you are as an archer, I think it's more important for you to know more about your equipment and to, to be able to build a system that, that is best for you and understand what's happening in your sight picture, understand what's happening in your execution. And so now I've shot a bow my whole life. I'm out there. I, I know what I'm struggling with. Right. And I'm like, I got to make a change here. If it's my release, I got to make a change. If it's my sight picture, I can't see something's blurry. It's causing me to over aim. I got to make a change to my sight picture. So yesterday I'm moving my side in and out. I'm, I'm changing stabilizer ways. I'm trying to get, you know, where I'm comfortable looking through, my scope where I can clear up my picture, clear up my pen, where I'm torque tuning. I'm doing all these things yesterday with a setup where 15 years ago, I would have just been like, eh, the pin never moves out of the middle. Right. And it hits and I don't have to worry about any of that. Yeah, stuff. Hold, holding dead still solves a lot of those problems, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so now I'm like, mm, well, 
that's true. Whenever your boat, your pin doesn't move, you, you can get away with a lot. Right. But now that I know one day it might not, and the next day I might have some movement and that shows up everything. So like you, then you realize, Holy crap. If, if I make a, just a kind of a subpar shot, I missed by two inches. That's not acceptable. You know, we're trying to hit a dot that's this big every time. And it's like, I got to have a bow that is torque tuned perfectly. That is my sight picture's perfect. I need every point I can get out there now. We're used to, it was just like, I can take that bow. I can take that bow, whatever. I'll point it in the middle and hit the middle. And like what he said, he used to be like, ignorance is bliss, dude. I remember him telling me that, you know, but the problem was I didn't know a lot about building bows when I was 19 and 20. I just knew how to shoot them. And yeah. so now I, I've, for the last 16, 17 years, I've learned what causes these things to happen. What causes that in your sight picture? What causes that in your execution? So now I'm like, okay, I'm struggling with that. And now I know and I'm like, I got to fix it because then your confidence is shot. So I just think the more you learn, the more, you know, the more you understand how important little things are, especially yeah, in the world. And the more, you know, the faster you can get from A to Z, the faster right. you can get from, from, uh, you know, I, I remember when we used to go to term, take two weeks to get sight tapes. Right. And then yeah. you go to term like Reading and it's off and you're like, we're adjusting limb poundage to get your gap back on, which is jacks your tune up. That would make my head spin nowadays, you know? Yep. And, but there's just so many advancements like software programs and things like that, that help you get from A to Z a lot faster. Probably I say the, 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 the sight tape programs are probably the biggest invention for archery since other than the rangefinder, And so it's just like, that is an overwhelming thing to me. And, and one of the, the things that I really want to be a part of fixing in this industry, because once you, once you solve that, man, I mean, so many people go out in the field hunting and they just miss and they think they just miss and they don't realize that this piece of device that you're trusting, it's always, my mantra is always trust and verify. Okay. Right. I know what I know because I've tried this. The reason I shoot a gated jaw release is because I can tell the difference from shooting all these different releases. I don't know why. I remember the very first time I shoot this Carter whole thing for years, right? And Carter came out with a BK target. They're both double sear thumb button releases, right? One would think that there ain't two shakes of difference between them. But I'm standing at the range. And I'm shooting groups like this at 30 yards of ACEs with my whole thing and groups like this with the other one over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm like, what could I possibly be doing different? It's the release. It's, it's mm -hmm. something in the release on how you hold it consistently. And it may not happen to another person based on how they fire the shot. You know, I've always felt like, uh, like index finger releases and hooks. I, I'm just adamantly against hooks on releases and any tension on the actual hook itself um, because I know my own personal weaknesses, okay? My biggest weakness shooting-wise is creeping, right? So if I'm creeping on a release that requires the exact same tension to break consistently, because it's like a mini finger release, the reason they shoot through a clicker is they want the same tension all the way through. Well, I analyze all this stuff. I talked to Brady Ellison a lot. I talked to, I've learned a lot of things from all different aspects of archery and able to apply them to my own game and understand what works for me. Okay. 
a person like Michael Braden that hooks the trigger and pulls has four, five, six, eight pounds of trigger pull is shooting a different shot with the same release. That would never work for me because I maybe have a little softer tension one one time than the next, and and a gated jaw that has no influence over the loop leaving the jaw is a more forgiving setup. Okay. And I just don't cook. I just can't accept. Now, I'm actually shooting a hook style jaw for hunting because in hunting, a lot of times you have to, you know, what's most accurate is not most practical. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And so you try to solve the problems of the competition or the hunt. You 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 build your gear based around what you're doing that gives you the best chance for success and and uh, I just think about all the scenarios where if I could have loaded a little faster, if I didn't think about it, or I needed a multi pin sight versus a single pin sight. You know, yeah, I'm not going to see that single pin sights hunting are more accurate, but having six or seven pins there to be able to make a quick decision. And quick execution is much more valuable to me in a hunting situation. So when you're dealing with equipment, I think, you know, that's always been my specialty is just I can't take a knife to a gunfight, okay? I am going to maximize everything within my power to try to win that tournament. What we're going to cover this weekend on Hammer's hack is is kind of knock point setup and and knock fit right so you see i see a lot of different things and i see a lot of different people make comments about leaving a, you know they leave a gap under their knock so you know so the uh let me get closer to the camera so you know so that it doesn't pinch but one thing people don't understand is once you touch the string off once you touch it off you have no more control over that and that arrow that string is kind of recovering from here to here. If you have any vertical knock travel in your bow system, that knock can be sliding up or down. And I learned this shooting a shooting machine. If I had any gap spread in my knock point, it would string arrows vertically. So if you look real close here, let me see if I can get real close to the camera. Okay. I tie a knock set like this. So I got a little bit more above the arrow than I do below below the arrow or a little more below the arrow than above okay that's important in terms of creating down pressure and, and eliminating some of that pinch and it creates a bigger flatter area on the string so when you have a sharper string angle you know you don't have as hard of a pinch okay on knock fit knock fits real critical and I, and I'm going to do a video here probably today later on on lighted knocks and we're going to talk about some of the different types of lighted knocks. And one of the problems I see with some of them is the fact that they have a plunger in them, right? And so when, when you touch that knock off, all of a sudden you have this massive amount of back and forth play in that thing all over the place. It's not holding the knock right against the throat of the string all the way through the shot cycle. And these gold tip knocks, and I use this mini HD pin knock almost for everything, but most of our knocks are all made this way. They kind of up the string like this and then they flare it from all angles so that's important because it holds the knock up against the string all the way through the shot cycle and when you're setting your knock fit up i, I don't know how many times i filled the call over the years so like hey do you have a, a knock that fits my bowstring and i i stopped for a second i said i'll tell you what 
a knock mold cost $20,000 and a piece of string serving costs a dollar. What do you think I'm going to recommend? Okay. People have to learn how to work on their own bows. You know, people are afraid of it, you know, and pro shops, you know, they're just sometimes the pro shops in this country are dumbed down to the 30 yard whitetail bow hunter and they just don't have the knowledge base, nor do they care, nor can they spend enough time. So if you don't take personal responsibility for your own stuff, you're never going to have it optimal, right? So what you're looking for in knock fit is number one, I want to be able to rotate this string in the throat of the knock without it pushing the arrow around, okay? That tells you it's loose enough, right? Another standard you can use is simply to draw the string back a half of an inch and let go. If that knock leaves cleanly, and I mean cleanly, not jerky, just cleanly comes off, then your knock fits proper, okay? Too tight a knocks can really rob accuracy. And I think a lot of, you know, bow hunters with a lot of not much experience, they like that. I want my knock to snap on the string because I don't want it to come off. You know, you don't want too tight of a knock. And the lower your poundage, if you're a woman or a light poundage bow hunter, the lighter your arrow is, the lighter that knock fit's got to be because you want to make sure it's coming off with the least amount of effort. So that's Hammer's Hacks for the second episode of the Arrow Ops podcast. Love it. Love it. It's just true. Very, very true. Well, that's our second episode uh, with Levi Morgan. And I think you guys, you know, if you follow this Arrow Ops podcast, you're going to pick up a lot of little tips and tricks. You're going to, you know, delve into you know, what makes people successful in uh, all aspects of archery and bow hunting. We're going to bring guests to you that, you know, they may not be the best archers. Maybe they're, maybe they're an expert in another field. Um, and we're just hope to entertain and hope to educate people, you know, with this podcast. And I think we've had a good uh, successful one here. Hey, before you go, there's a great way to get even more info and tips. Follow this podcast and check out Gold Tip on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. And as always, start tough and stay true.